0: Here is a trustworthy saying. If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble task. Now, the overseer must be above reproach, the husband of but one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders, so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. That's as far as we'll read this morning from God's holy word. May he bless it to us. What do you think of, friends, when you hear the word government? What comes into your mind when you hear the word government? You know, in light of uh, so much... Common, I would say, an understandable negative opinion about governments and particular political leaders. It is perhaps little surprise that the topic of church government as well at times is met with little interest at best and suspicion or rejection at worst. I think it's encouraging for us to remember in our day, as has been true in every day of the church, it's encouraging to remember that no matter what kind of human government exists or who the leaders may be that are in government, the Bible and church history shows that by God's grace, a Christian is able to live faithfully under any government. Is that Just easy to say still here in Canada or in the West when we think of the persecuted church. Probably. We still have so many freedoms and blessings here. But it is still true that whatever the particular government is that is in view, the ultimate head of state is Jesus Christ. We must never forget that. And he is the one who saves his people to the uttermost and who's with them every day. I will never leave you. He's with us to the end of the age. Daniel could live faithfully in Babylon. Paul could live faithfully in the Roman Empire. And God will help you and me to live faithfully where we are as well. As we think of this theme of government, and we'll see how it applies in a few minutes, there are, of course, different kinds of government intended for good in this world. Uh, There is the state government, civil government. There's family government as well. There... Uh, is a God-ordained authority in the home, young people and boys and girls. So God says, honor your father and your mother. Honor and obey that authority in your home that God has set in place in its good and for good. So we should never be those who, who... Kick against it, rebel against it. But we're not going to speak this morning about civil government or government in the home, but church government. Church government. Now, is that less interesting to you than either getting into it about the state this morning or the home that's just so pressing? It's It's just in our face. Maybe this morning already there were issues in the home that you'd want to to talk about or think about. Well, we should, as the Bible addresses both those things. But is church government interesting to you at all? Guy Waters, an American writer, has a very helpful little book, How Jesus Runs the Church. And in that book, he says, rare is the living individual for whom church government ignites keen interest, much less passion. The scriptures teach that Jesus himself has instituted a government for his church, a government that we find in the Bible and in the Bible alone. This government is an important part of the way that Jesus rules his people. Church government is a critical part of Christian discipleship. The government of the church is something in which every Christian should have keen interest, whether you are a young Christian or a mature Christian, new to a Presbyterian church or descended from generations of Presbyterians, an officer or an inexperienced church officer, you need to know what the Bible teaches about church government. And this knowledge will help you to pursue a fruitful Christian life, to pray better for officers, the officers in the work of the church, and to serve the church more capably. Above all, it will help you to have a renewed appreciation for the wisdom and the glory of the church's only head and king, Jesus Christ. That's what an interest and an investigation of church government revealed in the Bible should ultimately bring to us, a renewed appreciation for the wisdom and the glory of the church's only head and king, Jesus Christ. And yet it's still true that rare, perhaps, is the individual... For whom church government ignites keen interest, much less passion. Because that's true, I think that for many people, the fact that our second faithful saying that this has to do with church government is perhaps surprising, if not challenging, to our Christian thinking and our Christian values. Did you do that this week? Okay, we're starting this series. This is a faithful saying. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Amen. I'm going to look up the next one. I'm going to read through First Timothy and see what it is. Here is a trustworthy saying. If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, and you may have, if you didn't know it already, it might have surprised you that this was the next one. A faithful saying, a trustworthy saying that has to do with one of the ordained offices in the church. A trustworthy saying that refers to church government. Many people are surprised about that. And they write about it. They they say, how can a faithful saying be connected with something, quote, devoid of great significance or value? Because it is perhaps surprising, a few scattered commentators and figures in church history have said that this word, that this here is a faithful saying, that introduction, must, in this case, follow 1 Timothy 2.15. It has to follow it and refer to that. It can't refer to this. Can't refer to church government. And so they say it follows here rather than introduces. In a, in a few manuscripts of the New Testament, some scribes have seemingly altered manuscripts to read here, not faithful is the saying, but human is the saying. They actually use the word for humanity. Human is the saying, and that could be maybe loosely translated, common is the saying. But human is the saying because it talks about church government, One writer said they they did this, perhaps, out of a hesitancy to attach the profound introductory clause, reliable is the saying, to a statement which fails to give expression to a paramount essential of the Christian faith. I think we need to take that seriously because I think those questions, those responses that are seen in the history of the church challenge our own thinking even our priorities as Christians. Do we ignore church government? Do we see it as indifferent? Or perhaps even unhelpful, maybe even harmful? Is it unnecessary? Can't we just be led by the Spirit as New Testament Christians? Won't that do Now, I can understand and even sympathize with some people who say they have a lot of trouble with church government. You need to ask someone, why? Don't just respond or react to that. Ask them, why? Tell me me your story. That's what you have to do, friends. When you meet someone on the street and they say, I hate the church, don't just walk away and say, what kind of person hates the church? You ask them, what happened? What happened that you would say you hate the church? And some of them will tell you things, and you'll come away. You'll say, I get it. I know why you said that, and I can understand. At least I can sympathize with why you would say that. But then you need to bring them back to Jesus. Jesus and the Bible, to address their experience and not just reject it. Great abuses of authority have taken place in the church. Individuals have been harmed, sometimes horribly harmed, by those in positions of leadership in the church. We need to call sin, sin and not sinfully defend, excuse, or justify it just because of the position of the person sinning. In fact, the Bible tells us just the opposite, James 3.1. Not many of you should become teachers, brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. That's the biblical position. Not a free pass. Stricter judgment. But our response to abuses in the church should not be sinful either. Our response to sin should not be sinful. And it is sinful to reject the government, the structures, and the leadership that Jesus has given to his people, simply because some, or even if it were the case, many have abused it or distorted it. It is simply false piety to believe that I am so spiritual, so led by the Spirit, that I am beyond the need for the spiritual oversight of elders in my life. There are two basic sinful reactions to God-ordained authority, wherever it is found. The first is to abuse it. That's wrong. To use the authority tyrannically. But the second sinful reaction is to reject it arrogantly. Both are sinful. Both are. So let me ask you this morning as we have the issue of church government here before us as our second faithful saying, let me just set the context for it a little bit. Do you love Jesus? Does Jesus love you? Is Jesus wise? Does he care for his sheep? Is he really a good shepherd? Then let me ask you this, if this may be true to one degree or another for you, then why reject what he gives to his people for their good and blessing? We should embrace church government and pray that it would be exercised and submitted to biblically and properly and thankfully and expectantly as a good thing from a good shepherd. Because that is exactly what this faithful saying, this second faithful saying emphasizes. Here is a trustworthy saying. Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task or a good work. Faithful is the saying. Here is something true and trustworthy. And if we would borrow from chapter one, verse 15, worthy of full acceptance. Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a good thing. Let's just unpack that. Let's just look at what Paul actually writes here to Timothy. New International, here is a trustworthy saying, if anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble task. The King James Version has, this is a true saying, if a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth, a good work. I think that this is probably an unhelpful translation because there are two different Greek words used by Paul here. King James has desire and desire, but they're two different words in the original. The first is a word that means to aspire, literally to stretch out after. Boys and girls, you just have to think of a, of a, Church fellowship luncheon or a church picnic on a hot summer day. And after the meal, someone comes with a cooler and it's filled with freezies or ice cream. I see the eyes widening. Would you like one? Yes. And you stretch out your hand for it. That's the word here. Stretching out your hand for something. That's a very passionate word in the Bible. It's used in 1 Timothy 6, verse 10, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for some people eager for money, stretching out after it. It's the same word. Have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But it's also a passionate word used positively. When it is written about faithful generations of the church in the past, Hebrews eleven sixteen. instead they were longing for a better country a heavenly one. Do you know that longing for heaven? Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. It's longing after something. Something good. Something so good. And so we here have this same word, longing. Desire for the office of overseer. <laughs> you know, and again, it challenges us, doesn't it? The King James Version again has a bishop at this place. Maybe that's the way you've memorized it. If a man desired the office of a bishop, that's the word episkopos. It gives us the word episcopal, if you've heard of the episcopal church, as a type of church government. But there are many unbiblical historical connotations, I think, to that word bishop that we need to, we need to get over and, and correct. Uh, this is basically speaking of the office of elder in the church. There are two ordained New Testament offices, elder and deacon, in the church, Uh, The the Greek word for elder is presbyteros, so that gives the word Presbyterian. If you're a biblical Christian, you're a Presbyterian because the church is ruled by elders. Paul appointed elders in every town. If you're not a Presbyterian, you can't even obey something as practical as what James says. If anyone is sick, let him call. Who are you going to call? The elders. The elders. So biblical church government is Presbyterian. That's the word for elder. There are these two offices, elder and deacon. But there are two words that are used for the office of elder uh, that we're going to consider this morning. The first is overseer, which is the word here, and then the word elder. It's the same office. If you look at First at Titus 1, 5, and 7, uh, Paul says, I left you in Crete that you might put into order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town. And then he gives qualifications. But then in verse 7 he says, Since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless. And so that shows us that these words are interchangeable. Elder, presbyteros, presbyterian, and overseer. Sometimes in the history of the church translated bishop. But it's the actual nature of the, the, the work that that word overseer, which we don't get when we see bishop, but it's the nature of the work that's being communicated. The word elder has Jewish origin, It was familiar to the Jews, we read with even back to the days of Moses, it was familiar to the Jews in their synagogues for generations before the birth of Christ. And the word elder speaks of the maturity and dignity of the office. It's the office of elder. But overseer, this word that's used here, has more of a Greek context. Greek writers speak of men sent from the city of Athens who had oversight over other cities in Greece. And this word speaks of the primary duty of the office, to oversee. Acts 20, 28, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Shepherding, shepherd, that gives the word pastor in the church. But we're looking at this overseer, and that's the word used in First Timothy 3.1. Faithful is the saying. Here is a trustworthy saying. Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task, the NIV says. But what is emphasized, you see, by the Holy Spirit through Paul is a stretching forth to this office is a desire, an aspiration for a good thing. That's the emphasis. One writer says it is not, it is the office rather than the striving for it that is explicitly definitively described as being excellent or noble or good. It is the office itself that Paul says, this is good. We need to be careful there. Not every aspiration to the office of elder is good. We wouldn't say that, would we? We couldn't say that. There may be sinful ambition, a selfish desire for respect or recognition, I knew someone years ago who became a pastor, and, and after it just all kind of fell apart, he admitted he sought to be a pastor to have the respect of people around him. It may be a means to material gain. Years ago, I pastor, I spoke to, who left the ministry for a while, did something else and then came back. I said, why did you come back in the ministry? He said, I like just going around and sitting down and having coffee with old ladies. the easy life, that's what he wanted, an easy life. That's the way he saw it. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, 14. Here for this third time, I'm ready to come to you and I will not be a burden to you. I do not seek what is yours, but you. That's the proper. I don't seek what's yours. It's not material gain. It's not something that I'm getting out of it in this life. I'm not seeking yours, your stuff, but you as an under-shepherd of Jesus Christ. The Pharisees devoured widows' houses and were condemned for it. The desire may on occasion be less than noble. Or it may be noble and good, but here's the point. The office, the work, the blessing of Christ in ordaining the office of elder is good. It's good. Now, why is this a faithful saying? Why did Paul, writing to Timothy, emphasize this? Why had it become a common proverb or saying in the early church? Well, William Hendrickson, the commentator, suggests a plausible reason. In the context of the early church, persecution was very real and a practical reality. And leaders opened themselves up more openly to persecution in a greater way. Leaders are more easily identified. And it's true today. Elders and deacons in our congregation have their names and pictures up on the church website. It's easier to know who they are to get to them. What do they call it? Doxing? Is that the thing? They, when people want to do something nasty to you on the Internet? Well... All I have to do is look up the congregation and click leadership and see. You know, Paul has to write to Timothy elsewhere. Don't be ashamed of my chains. There was real cost to a leader in the days in which Paul wrote to Timothy. And the devil knows too that the failures and fears of church leaders pay bigger Diabolical dividends. And so we can imagine people saying, Be an elder in the church? Who would want a target on his back? But what does Paul say? Here's a faithful saying it's good. It's good. There are many pressures and demands that come with leadership in the church. This will be costly in time and energy. It will take an emotional toll. There will be, if not physical, spiritual blood, sweat, and tears. Who wants the burden? Who wants the hassle? who wants the daily pressure paul 2 corinthians 11:28 besides everything else i face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches who would want it but listen listen says paul yes that is true open to persecution greater pressure. But this is a good thing. This is a good thing. Not a bad thing. Not a harmful thing. Not a useless thing. Not an optional thing in the church. This is a good thing. And the better a thing is, the more a person is willing to give for it and to spend for it. If something is truly good, it is worth the cost and the expenditure and the effort. Here is a trustworthy saying, if anyone desires, sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a good thing. What makes the office of elder good? Well, first, its origin, its origin, it comes from God. God is good, and he does good. He gives good and perfect gifts. The office of elder in the church is a good gift from the risen, exalted Lord Jesus Christ, Ephesians chapter 4. It comes, think of it this way, as you receive a gift. But in this case, a gift from the Lord Jesus Christ. It comes with his name on the bill. Who paid for this gift? You ever get an anonymous gift, maybe, left at your door or something? Wow, this is a great gift. Who gave this gift? I wonder how much they paid for this gift. The good gift of church government, has Jesus' name on the bill. It is purchased by his blood. It is ordained by his wisdom. And it has been given in his love. That's the way to think about church government. My mom often says that when she gives us things, she says, I I wanted to give it to you with a warm hand. And by that she means... While she's still alive. Well, the office of elder in particular, church government in general, is given to us with a pierced hand. It's good. It's good in its origin, it's good in its concern. Because the sphere of concern of the eldership is the soul, not exclusively, but primarily. The soul, the greatest good is spiritual good. Not to the exclusion of physical good and blessing, but of greater significance and of greater consequence. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? The concern of the eldership is your soul. It's good also in its fruit. What blessings does the office of elder contribute toward? Well, in a word, salvation. The proclamation of the word for the salvation of sinners and the maturing of the saints. Spiritual oversight is part of Christ's program for spiritual discipleship. Paul says in Colossians 1.28, him, Christ, we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. That's good. It's good to be mature in Christ. That's the fruit of the office of elder. And it's good, lastly, in its qualifications. Such good work will require good men. And so we see right after this faithful saying, qualifications laid out for this good work. Character qualifications, primarily. It's a good work for a few good men. 1779, U.S. Marine Corps Captain William Jones let it be known that he was looking for a few good men to serve aboard his ship. It was in the Providence Gazette, it said the continental ship Providence, now lying at Boston, is bound on a short cruise immediately. A few good men are wanted to make up her compliment. The office of Elder is good, and those who serve in that office are called and should be good in their character. Goodness in various areas of life, that's a way to think of these character qualifications, that you read them and you say, not given to drunkenness, yeah, that's good. Not quarrelsome. yeah, that's good. You just read them all, that's good. The work being good necessarily requires of those entering it to have a corresponding character of goodness, said Patrick Fairbairn. Here is a trustworthy saying. Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a good thing. So let me ask you some practical questions as we close. This second faithful saying Are you submitting to it? Are you submitting to it? Are you obeying Jesus? Are you thanking Jesus for his wisdom? and his love in this good gift to you or are you disregarding it or even despising what he calls good hebrews 13:17 obey your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account do this so that their work will be a joy and not a burden for that would be of no benefit to you. It's a good gift in your life from Jesus, the Good Shepherd. Are you submitting to it? Secondly, are you desiring it? Now this obviously, out of the qualifications, is a more limited application, but are you desiring it? For those to whom that is applicable it is a good thing to desire. Now, is your desire for this good thing a good thing? That's what you need to pray through and ask your motives. If you have desired it, why? But also to examine your motives before the Lord if you haven't desired it. Why? It's a good thing. Related to that, pray. Pray for laborers in the vineyard. Pray for men for the office of elder. Drew Gordon, who's the editor of The Witness magazine, wrote recently, recent Reform Presbyterian synods around the world have highlighted a need for more ruling elders. The stated clerk of the Reformed Presbyterian Church of North America noted a 10% decrease in ruling elders in the past decade. I just put that out there. I don't know all the reasons why. But we know we need to pray. At the recommendation of the RP Global Alliance, this past summer, Synod has appointed October 2nd, 2022, as an RP International Day of Prayer for the provision of ruling elders in the Global Reform Presbyterian Church. So are you desiring it? Are you praying for it? But third, and this more generally, are you imitating it? It's a good thing with these good qualifications attached to it. Are you imitating it? Now, not everyone is to be an elder, but the Bible says every elder is to be an example to the flock. We are to look at this good thing, the eldership, as an example to us so that we don't just say, well, yeah, an elder needs to be temperate. An elder needs to be self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, not given to drunkenness, not violent. Glad I'm not an elder. (laughs) Would you do that? Glad I'm not an elder. You need to go through these qualifications and say, these are the qualifications of the men who are examples to me, that Jesus has given to be examples in my life. Am I imitating it? Of course, all of these things just point to to Christ-likeness, to be like Christ. And that's the goal for us all, isn't it? The office is good. Trustworthy say. But you know, whether we think of the men in the office or whether we think of them as examples to us, the office is good. But we aren't. Either as elders or as the people of God. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Wonderful that this is an office in the church of Jesus Christ, the Savior, who has grace for sinners to forgive and to help. We need to look to Christ. The elder must decrease. Christ must increase. So that We hear again with fresh ears, I hope, all of us, 1 Peter 2.25. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls.